Hey there, I'm Stephanie, your inspirationalist. Welcome to my podcast on today. My topic today will be when my son became 18, I lost control. Now, I've heard many single mothers say those words. He became quiet, sheltered in his room, and attached to his phone and video games. Now, raising a son or sons, it can be challenging as a single mother, particularly if you don't understand how men think, act, and view life. Joining me on my podcast today will be my son, Buddy, his business partner, Mike, and Mike's mother, Tina. Sit back and enjoy the show. Buddy, uh, Tina, Buddy, Mike, and Tina on my podcast on today. And as, as I stated earlier in my, my intro, our topic will be when my son became a teen, I lost control. And so we're going to kind of get a, some of this stuff may be new to me. I don't know about Tina. Because I have some of the questions I haven't not asked Buddy before. So we will see how the outcome. Well, we'll see. Okay. But wait, I'm going to get started right in the show. So my first question, first of all, I want to welcome all, all three of you all to the show. Thank you for the Thank you for taking on the invitation and being a part of this today. Thank you. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. My first question is this, and either you or Buddy could start off. Uh, what was it like growing up uh, without a father in a home? Um, well, for me, for for the first nine years of my life, my dad was was there. So I so the um, the biggest, I guess, change that I felt was you know, of course, after he left, but more so. Um, in my preteen, kind of, you know, junior high, going into high school, because mm-hmm. our, our relationship kind of ended also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I kind of felt some sort of a lacking of a male presence, but I still had a uh, a pretty good relationship with some of my uncles. Mm-hmm. So that, that male figure, um, you know, was still kind of present, but from a distance. Okay. Yeah. Buddy, oh, honestly, growing up without a father, it was a. Uh, I don't think I felt the difference just because my father died when I was one and a half. One and a half, so before I can remember. Um, oh. So when people ask me that question, I got asked, asked that question before, uh, just by different friends. To me, I don't. I don't feel the difference because I. Uh, I mean, my father is very prevalent in my life. I heard a lot of stories through my aunts and uncles, of course, through my mom, you. Um, so I knew who he was. I knew a lot about him, but I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of uncles and I had a great grandfather who filled that void of, void of a man figure inside the, my household. So I didn't feel the difference of like, when friends were like, I'm about to go home to my father. I didn't feel like that was a missing piece of me not going home to not having a father. Okay. Now, you know, I want to ask Tina, what was it like raising a son as a single parent? And what were you most concerned about? And I will answer that question myself, but um, I'm going to start with Tina. Okay. Um, There were challenges, of course, because, you know, I'm a woman and he's a, you know, he was a male. And um, there were challenges, but you know, I'm, I'm old school, so I, I ran a pretty tight ship. Um, I would have to say uh, the, the number one uh, challenge was not having his father's support 
financially, emotionally, um, physically, not him not being there. I would have to say that was probably the, the, the hardest, but thank God, you know, Mike was raised in church. And so he, uh, he knew right from wrong. I taught him that at an early age. I tried to keep him um, involved in um, activities like after school program. I, I work. So, you know, sometimes I would let him walk home. He was a latchkey kid, but not for very long, but I kept him in like after school programs. Um, he got interested in music real early. So that was a big plus. Um, you know, he, uh, he's, he was sort of a loner. So he didn't have a lot of, a whole lot of friends, which was good. <laughs> so he didn't have that uh, too much negative influence um, in his life. But the hardest thing for me raising a single son was the fear that he would uh, venture off into the wrong avenue. You know, mm -hmm. just being a young black male, you know, it's so much out there that he could have been doing, you know, influenced by the wrong crowd, hanging out with the wrong crowd you know, somebody not understanding the danger of, you know, being with the wrong person at the wrong time. But thank God none of that happened. It, that, but that was my biggest fear, um, being a single mom. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like, you know, had his dad been there more, you know, he could have spent more time with him. He, he should have been the one, you know, teaching him all this stuff. But thank God, you know, it, wor it, it worked out. Mm -hmm. It, it did. Well, mine's is kind of similar to yours. You know, you you kind of uh, you, your fears are you just want to make sure that everything is intact in the home. Right. You know, you have to feed your kids all the taking care of their basic needs and stuff like that. Right. And then I did also have the uh, uh, outside support too. Uh, mm -hmm. I think one of mm -hmm. my biggest fears was I think when uh, Buddy became a teen. Mm -hmm. And I'll get down further into that in my in my questioning. When he mm -hmm. became a teen, uh, 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 connecting to these gangsters and stuff like that. So we'll get more a little bit in depth into that. But I think that okay. was more of a fear because of the history of his father's family. And so oh, okay. I was very, I was very strict. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, likewise, I was very strict and stuff too. Mm -hmm. But did you ever feel like that you were losing control at any time, Tina, at any point? Never, never. I never felt like I was losing control of Mike, never. <laughs> mm -hmm. Ever he because he, he I think he knew how far he could go with me, mm -hmm. <laughs> so he knew not to ask. He knew what he could, what I was gonna allow, and what I was not going to allow. I never felt, you know. Of course, you know when he became a teenager, you know they all try you. Right. That's just that, that male, you know. You know, but I never once felt like that. Mm -mm. I, um, you know, when he was in high school, mm -hmm. when he was in the twelfth grade, um, he 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 lacked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, mm -hmm. he fell off mm -hmm. um, and I made it clear to him that you know that's all I require of you is to get a high school diploma Right. what you do after age 18 mm -hmm. is your life mm -hmm. I want you to go to college but if that's not the avenue you choose to go to mm -hmm. go you know mm -hmm. your whatever whatever you do that's on you mm -hmm. but um, he he started slacking off in, in, in the 12th grade and he fell, he fell way behind. Mm -hmm. And so I just told him, everybody in this house has a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. You can, you can get one or you go pack your clothes and go live with your dad. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't play that, mm -hmm. you know, cause that's all you, you're required to do for me is just, you know, get out of high school, mm -hmm. get out of high school. And then, you know, you choose the avenue that you want to go down. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, at the, I felt a little scared, you know, because I was like, oh, man, is he going to graduate? What's going to happen if he don't graduate? You know, but he, he graduated. He knew. Mm-hmm. He knew. And he had he had a big support system yeah. with his sister. Mm-hmm. So his sister, you know, played a, a role in it, a big role in it, too. And he had a lot of great male, um, positive male role models mm-hmm. a lot when he became, um, as he got out of high school. Well, even before he got out of high school. Mm-hmm. When he was like 15, 16, he had a lot of great male mm-hmm. um, role models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Joe I- Archie. Your, uh, Joe Archie, number one. Mm-hmm. He was Joe Archie was the first person that I let Mike um, go out of town with for mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Archie is mm-hmm. the one who who got him to playing in the choir at church. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so he had a lot of he had a lot of great. Positive and and that's kind of key right there, Tina, because uh, uh, Joe is my brother. And, and you, when you come from certain morals and values, you kind of connect and you kind of know, <clears throat> right. meet those people and you kind of know where they kind of know what they think or how they think. It's similar to what right. you you think. So right. it's kind of a comfort zone right there. You know, right. I right. don't I right. didn't ever feel like I was losing control either. I was pretty much a strong mother. I was not a weaklet. You know, and right. <laughs> right. you raised in that environment. We were raised old school. You know what we say, you it goes, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, we ain't putting somebody else over here to like, kind of help out a little bit, you know. But these parents don't, nowadays, they don't, it's not no, there. It's not there now, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I really want a lot of parents to see that, 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 um, um, don't be worried about losing control. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. learn how to maintain consistency and have that support system. But anyway, we'll get a little deeper into that. Okay, I want to go to the guys. Guys think guys think differently from women. Right, they do. So do you, did you, did you and Bud, did you guys ever believe, uh, believe mom that we misunderstood you guys or, and if so, how, or, and, and what age were you? Who's going first? I'll <laughs> let Buddy go first. <laughs> <laughs> Is he there? Buddy? Uh-oh, we lost him. Oh, you did? It's, it's yeah. connected. It says connected. It says connected. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Maybe his phone is on. Uh-oh, he's gone completely down. Or maybe he's gonna come come back. Yeah, he'll home. come back. Hopefully. Probably bad signal. I'll send him a message to come back in. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mike. Though let, let, I'm gonna let you go ahead, Mike. Okay. Um. You remember the question? <laughs> you back, buddy? You back, buddy? Well. Okay. Oh, you back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the question was: Guys think differently from women. Did Did you ever believe moms misunderstood you? If so. How? What age were you? Uh, honestly, I don't think so because I had a lot of outlets. Um, you know, I can say like with my family, our family. I I grew up in the golden age. What I mean by the golden age, like you know, a lot of my aunts and uncles were in their primes. I remember them being in like high school, some fresh out of high school. So you know, if something that my mom didn't understand, I had uncles or even my aunts to go to and have those conversations, and they would have conversations with me to you know, kind of give me over those humps of things that my mom didn't understand. So to me, it was, it was, it, I, I never felt that way at all. What about you? Um, 
I don't think she didn't understand me. Um, I think the only thing Tina Hart didn't understand was why I needed my music so loud in my room. <laughs> <laughs> why it got to be so loud? Because I can't hear. We didn't understand why sound was bouncing off the walls because we didn't have no real studio treatment at that time. So we had to turn up our our, our speakers as loud as we could here. But no, no, I felt, you know, I felt like she pretty much understood. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think she knew when I didn't like what she said. And, you know, but, but, you know, she understood, she understood, you know, we just, <laughs> I'm so much like her sometimes that <laughs> I understand her why she's saying it, but I want her to understand. <laughs> She's cracking up over here. I want her to understand that I don't like that she that she understand what I'm saying. But um, you know, for the most part, you know, she uh, she got me. <laughs> you know what? And that that that's the secret of of establishing a bond with your children when they're very very young. Mm-hmm. And you not only establishing a bond, but having a a, a support group around them. You know, that they can go to, they have a go-to person to talk to, or even if they say, well, mom said this, that that go-to person sometimes is a reinforcement, you know, so it, 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 it kind of, it kind of works. I'm going to, I'm going to ask this next one. Teens are the most challenging years. Now, you know, teenagers are the most challenging years. In what ways were you challenged, buddy or Mike? What what ways were you guys challenged? Buddy? Uh, hello? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Buddy, what? Challenge. Um, honestly, uh, challenge my teen years. I would say, as I got older, I didn't. I realized there were challenges as I got older. In the moment, I didn't realize there were challenges. Meaning, like you know, you're hanging out with friends and they're about to go do something that you know, like friends, like let's go rob this, let's go rob the uh, ice cream man or something like that. <laughs> like, like literally, I remember, I remember, I remember a friend of mine. But actually, come to find out, he was my cousin. But I remember <laughs> we were going to junior high together. He was like, yeah, man, I'm about to go beat up this ice cream man and go rob him. I looked at him and was like, yeah, you know, you can go do that. I'm about to go over here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I, I literally watched him beat up this ice cream man and, like, take, take a bunch of ice cream and run off. But in my mind, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Because first thing that came to my mind was, like, my mom's going to whoop me. Then, my, then I got to go see my grandfather. Then my uncle, then my uncle's gonna beat me up. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even, like most people think about jail first. First, uh, back in the day when I when I was faced with challenges, I didn't think about jail first. I thought about what is my mom gonna do, then what my grandfather's gonna do. So it was never about oh I'm gonna go to jail. That was never a thought first. It was about what do to me first. So as I got older, I realized like I was faced with challenges, but having a great support system, as we as we all have said helped me to get through challenges of me not really realizing their challenges in the moment. Cause I could have easily with that challenge went over there and said, all right, I'm about to do it too. And it could have turned into me, me possibly going to juvenile hall because we got caught doing that specific thing. Okay. Mike. Um, yeah, I had a couple challenges, you know, growing up, you know, as much, as much as a loner as I was, 
there was times where like I did want to like hang out um for like uh with Chris. You know. <laughs> so like Chris Chris was like ahead of us in a lot of areas, you know. Um like Chris had the car first, you know. Um he was working, but he would also hang out. You know, he, he would be at school sometime. <laughs> but, you know, so even though, you know, he was in our age bracket, Chris did a little more advanced things than the average um, high school, you know, kid. You know what I mean? Or had, or had a little more leeway. Hmm. And there would be certain times where, you know, I might want to roll with Chris and mm-hmm. Tina Hart would be like, where Chris going? Mm-mm, you staying home or, mm-hmm. or you know. <laughs> <laughs> Chris would show up um, in high school um, in Florham Mall. They had a, a what's the store um, that we used to shop at? Oxford Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember they had these really uh, ex- expensive jackets. They're like Bud Light jackets and race car jackets. And they was like $300, $400. And Chris would have them on some of the other kids. And I would be like, Trying to figure out how they could afford that, and I know his mama wasn't buying it, but you know, but Tina Hart would think the same thing and be like, "Nah, you're not running with them." So, you know, but at the same time, it was cool because I was also okay with being by myself, especially, you know, coming into uh, music at that time too. So I spent a lot of time in my room by myself you know, trying to figure out music and all the little software and all that stuff, too. But there was moments where I did want to kind of hang out and get out and, you know. Well, that you know what? That's a good example right there, Mike, as a two different homes, two different rearings. And, um, uh, the you know, the results of two different rearings, two, two different opinions of parents, how to raise their kid. Now, he was giving a little bit more freedom than you, where you were like, no, uh-uh, no, you're not going to go that that to that to that level and right. i think single parents need to be able to recognize that obviously tina did recognize that right. no you know that's no let's put a stop <laughs> and not go to that level you know right. um so you know that that is a um many parents many 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 parents are challenged especially today with that you know they just right. let them go you know and um that 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 just really disturbs me but that that is a good um yeah, that was really good. I'm going to kind of skip the other one because you guys already kind of talked about that one where uh, your friends are being as important as your family. And, and it's obvious that both of you guys uh, uh, were were not influenced to that level with your friends based on the challenging question I asked, the previous question I asked. But so I'm going to skip, skip down to the next one. Uh, did you ever have a desire or try to venture out or connect to negative groups. And I'm also going to tie this, the next one into that. Uh, what was it or was it anything about your home environment that made you second guess venturing and connecting to negative groups? Um, I never really wanted to venture out and connect to uh, negative people. Um, just because I'm, I'm pretty... I'm pretty much a non-confrontational person, so I never want to put myself in a situation, you know, that that would compromise my well-being or, or or put me in a place where I would have to deal with some serious consequences. Uh, I think the most negative thing I probably did growing up was 
I skipped. Uh, I skipped school one time, but uh, it was in junior high, and um, only one time. Yeah, hey, runner. <laughs> <laughs> How'd yeah. you do that? We live right down the street. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, buddy. <laughs> I had. A, uh, I didn't know that. I didn't have to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't ever tell me that. Yeah, they called you. I got in trouble because I had. Um, I was taking a zero period, so it wasn't even a required class. I was trying to learn Spanish in like the eighth grade, and my teacher told me I had a great voice for to speak Spanish and, and one day I was like I'm gonna go play basketball some of the kids was up there early and uh they called my mom and said I didn't show up for for Spanish class and she was like did you not go and I and I was honest too I told her I said well it's not it's not required I volunteered to yeah. this. I just so I didn't want to go today and she was like well you're supposed to be somewhere and if you're not there and Something happened, all that kind of stuff. So you know, I. So well, hold, on. hold on, hold hmm? on. Where were you? At school. You just didn't go to class. No, I went to I went to the basketball course. Mike, 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 that's not skipping school. <laughs> uh, no, he, he, hey, he knew to be on campus. Whether, uh, he, skip, he, he knew he better have been on campus. Uh, yeah, you can miss your class on campus. You better not be outside that campus playing <laughs> basketball. No, and we live Mike. right down the street, so I, I mean, uh, how, how did he? Hey, skipping skipping school is when you leave school. <laughs> when you well, leave school, you well, leave I... school for the day, or you leave school for a couple of periods, and you're not in, on school grounds. Mike, he was in the back playing basketball, talking about you skipping school. That's not skipping school. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, <laughs> he I, knew, decided, he I decided not. I decided not to go to the class. I, I volunteered for They still, they still call. Call my mind, so you know. But yeah. <laughs> what about you, bud? Okay, buddy. I forgot the I forgot the question, man. I was <laughs> the question is about uh did you ever try to venture out into neg connect the negative groups or anything like that? Oh yeah, at one point in my life in junior high. I went to LA. <laughs> I went to LA to visit my uncle and I went to death row offices and I came back to Sacramento. I thought I was the biggest blood in the world. <laughs> so I was going around talking about blood this, blood that. I thought I was going to join the blood gang, and then my teacher came to my house and told my mom she that that she thought we I grew up in a gang of the home, and and then you know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, well, he did. He had the teachers believe me, and I got called by the teachers. Your son called. Your son is saying that he's you know he's growing growing up in a gang home. Can we do a house visit? Okay, that's fine. Come on. So they came and they were just astonished because Buddy and them were all quiet in, in the living room doing their homework and it was just a quiet environment. So they were like just there for a few minutes. They were like, "Thank you for the." <laughs> they were just like shocked. But he had been believing that he was growing up in a gang infested home for real. Oh lord, yeah. <laughs> but he wanted to be a, a crip. A blood. I'm blood. And then there's another story. I briefly, that one of the kids from church joined the gang. So he came, he came over after service one Sunday, and he was sitting outside with his bike. And I opened the door. I said, "What are you here for?" And he said that uh, I want to see Buddy. I said, "Don't bring any of that stuff around my house." Bye. You know, mm -hmm. I was really direct with him. You know, so he never came back again. And so 
I say that to say this: a lot, a lot of parents don't be afraid, mm-hmm. be direct, and don't, don't don't do that. So many parents don't, and it's, they allow their sons to connect, and then before you know it, they're dead, locked up, or you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you're so, right. Yeah, they have, to, they have to know that there's consequences to their actions, and that's what I always instilled in my kids: is that you know, you can go out there and do it, but there but there's consequences for what you what you're doing. So you might yeah. want to make good decisions. Think about your actions before you do it, because you can get out here and get in trouble. You're on your own. I don't. Yeah. Do, I don't do jail houses. So you get out. There's no reason for it. Yeah. You know, it takes more energy to do wrong than it does to do right. You don't have to yeah. do the wrong thing. Yes. So, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a little bit about a support system, and we kind of hit on that a little bit earlier. Mike kind of jumped ahead of us, but anyway. Let's talk about support system and the importance of having access. Um, did you have support system? And you guys, besides mommy, you guys answered that yes. Uh, did your support system reinforce mom's expectations? And somewhat you said yes. And was it about your support system that influenced you to be the men you are today? What was it about your enforce, your your uh, the, the support system that influenced you to be the men you are today? Mike? Um, for my support system, um, it was definitely uh, music-based. Um, it came from, of course, your brother, Joe, mm-hmm. uh, my Uncle Jimmy, and Eric. Mm-hmm. So though, there was kind of stages um that still support to this day. Uh, they support as, as a collective at this point, but there was a, there were stages as they, yeah. you know, progressed. So it started with my uncle Jimmy just you know being a kid and being around, uh, you know, the gospel quartet groups and and me wanting to you know play guitar and, and him investing in me and buying me my first guitar and and you know and being around from that point. And then going to high school and wanting to get more into the studio and production side mm-hmm. um, and being at church and Joe being the, the church organist at the time mm-hmm. and taking me up under his wing and mm-hmm. giving me my first computer and kind of, you know, helping me hone my skills into the into the recording world, um, which ultimately connected me and Buddy. Because Buddy came to the church to sub in as a drummer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how our relationship formed from there. Uh, and then moving out of high school into adulthood, coming up under Derek, um, and him kind of taking the best of both worlds as, as a guitar player himself and a producer, taking on my uncle and Joe instilled in me separately and kind of teaching me how to infuse the two uh, as an overall producer. Um, those those three elements became a focus for me to where I really didn't have to, you know, venture off or look into anything else. So that foundation became the new support system for me really not to have to, um, you know, deal with really anybody in my own age bracket because hanging around them, you know, my peers at that time and still at that time, the majority of them were so much older than me 
you know, all of my influences and people I was around wasn't dealing with nothing nonsense anyway. So I really didn't have, you know, any other influences of my demographic um, outside of Buddy. You know, he was doing the same thing I was doing. So, yeah, yeah, so. What was it, Buddy? How about you? What was your, uh, about your support system that influenced you? To be the man, the man you are today. Uh, well, I say it, it started. It's crazy because I would think about this one day. It actually started from home, which is my mom, because my mom being the oldest out of my grandfather, he has uh, eighteen kids. Um, he's second being oldest. second oldest. I'm sorry, second oldest. Like like my uncle Joe, who actually taught me how to produce by just allowing me to go to the studio every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was very influenced by my mom when it comes to playing like piano. So I re- I realized one day that I actually started the sports system, the foundation started at home because my mom influenced the person that influenced me, you know, when it came when it came to music. So music was always like the biggest thing since I was a since I was a kid. Like any if you go back to if you go back to ask anybody I went to school with, you know, the the first thing they'll tell you is he wanted to be a music producer and a drummer. He's gonna to move to LA to pursue his dream. That's always been my that's always been my thing since second second grade. And I actually had a friend hit me up on Instagram yesterday. His name was David. We went to San we went to San Anne's together, second grade. And he was like, Man, it's glad to see that you're still doing music. I remember years ago, that's all you ever wanted to do. So my and that came, and that and that passion came from my uncle, my uncle George. He moved to LA and he was, you know, to, doing touring with some of the top artists producing with some of the top artists uh, during this era, like the 90s, um, and me flying back and forth, uh, being ex- exposed to that, mm-hmm. One, being exposed to music on a, on, a, on a totally different level, not just like a local level, a level of like turning on TV, I'm seeing him on TV, turn on, turn on the radio, I'm actually seeing, hearing his music on the radio. So right. that, really, that really influenced me to be the one to be the, the best I could be in that field um, of music, and it, but it's like I said, it started from the foundation. But then also, you know, my aunt, my my my, my, my uncle really, of course, influenced me um, music-wise, and my aunties as well. Just being influenced me to look for a strong woman when it comes to uh, life partner as well. So it was, it was, it was, it was a great thing. Yeah, and the the the, the like Joe and Derek Allen and who's the other one you mentioned, Mike. Uh, uh, my uncle Jimmy. Your uncle Jimmy. Um, they, they were, <clears throat> um, um, they were. Uh, um, um, how can I put the word? Um, they were. They were men about what they did. In, in, you right. know, they, they were men about being responsible as far as the, uh, uh, with their business, their production, and stuff. And so that was a, uh, uh, an example. Uh, a great. They were a great example for you guys in that in that era during that era. All right. Um, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I have to, I'm, the next question, I'm going to skip past that one. I'm going to go straight to this, and I'll ask that one later. But both of you guys are in the music industry. Since you started talking about music, how has your rearing helped when doing music, doing business and personal interaction? How has your, you, now you guys are at the point where you're men, and you come in contact with people business-wise and, and personal-wise. Personal how has your rearing your <coughs> helped you to reach out to others? or influence others? Um, I, I can say a lot of it start from the air we came up is be who you are, be yourself, have your own identity. 
and don't afraid to be different. So I can say, you know, with that being instilled in us, <clears throat> when we come in contact with other people, they automatically see that come through from how we interact with them, you know, how we actually treat them, especially when it comes to women. You know, we always had a rule our entire time working together. You know, we don't sleep with the artists that we work with. Um, and that's, and we, and that started from the foundation of being different and being opposite, meaning right. that everybody in the music industry, that's what they do. They work with women and they sleep with them. But it's like, why would I not, why would I work with a woman and then sleep with her and mess up the money of possibly getting a hit record or, you know, us doing great music or, you know, making some great music and making great money with each other. Um, people don't look at it a lot of time. They look at it just, you know, another woman I'm in the studio with. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Okay, Mike. <clears throat> um. Yeah, I got a. I got a second. You know that for sure. Um. Because you know we always wanted to be set apart. Um. And um. You know, just reflecting back. You know. From from you, that that's always been I guess our our thing. You know, people <clears throat> always say something different about us. You know. Uh, I'm sorry, my mom. Mom, she took a phone. Sorry, sorry. Uh, um, but yeah, no, that uh, has definitely you know helped. You know, being those kind of guys that uh, women in particular can trust, because um, ultimately that helps our business. Uh, you know, and when they refer people to us. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the first things that, you know, people say, you know, they're, they're stand-up guys, they have great character, you know, it's not the typical environment of you coming to the studio, you know, it's a safe environment. Um, no smoking. Yeah, and aside from that, I think, too, the, the rearing has helped us um, have better discernment with our clientele, um, which helps us decide for who we want to work with, um, if it's a good business decision. Because, uh, you know, it's not always about the money. It's, it's about the character um, and the personality of the people that we work with, you know, because it could be a million dollars and be a horrible, horrible person, horrible project or not represent who we are or what we do um, or what we like to stand for. Um, I think first and foremost, you know, our biggest front um, that we want people to see first are uh, what comes in front of our our businesses that they see Christian men, uh, you know, and they know that when they're around us or in our studio, or, or even if we're in somebody else's space, there's a certain respect level uh, for us being in the presence um, that people, you know, apply, um, you know, so just having those values <laughs> and us walking and living in them, um, yeah you know, just helps create that atmosphere, uh, you know, around us and where we are and how we think and, and just everything that we do as, as businessmen and men in general. Yeah, I'm going to have to say that has to be reckoned with, especially in this day and time. Of course, the gossip is that uh, a lot of people in the industry, whether it's gospel, R&B, whatever industry it is, um, they do have to do provocative stuff or certain things they have to join, certain groups they have, may have to join to get their name out there. And to be able to connect with a, a group that you're more comfortable where you can come comfortable with and, and interact is, is, is I'm sure it's a plus for many people that, that's out there. 
in the uh, music industry. Now, both of you guys were raised in church. Uh, most youth today are not. Now, what are your expect experiences and perspectives of this unchurched generation? Um. Well, it's it's kind of crazy because, especially being in in LA and seeing the melting pot of musicians everywhere, mm-hmm. it's crazy. There's a lot of talented musicians. Um, with a lot of skills, and it's funny you say a lot of them are raised in church, but it's what's funny is there's so many of them that play in church mm-hmm. as, as as a source of income and sustainability. They know, you know, all of the church core progressions, and you know, the gospel genre is the biggest influence in in music. Period. You know, um, you know, they all want to play the the church chords and. They know all the dips and all that stuff, but they don't have any foundation, not even a little bit to revert back to. Um, and the foundation that they do have is, you know, a crack foundation because the people that they're around, even in the churches that they play at, aren't the best examples. And so, you know, they go get church and they go get the, you know, the look gig. of it. Yeah, <laughs> they go get the, the look of it. And what it appears to be, but they have no um, example uh, of of a relationship, a real spiritual leadership. So you know they get this, you know the the churching of it, the shouting, the you know just the whole package of of the exterior, but they don't have any solid foundation, um, and it's very noticeable because again they can play every song and every hymn. But they can't live it. They can't walk it. They can't explain it. They can't revert scripture to it. You know, none of that. So you know, it's it's evident in their character. You know, their skill set is amazing, though. <laughs> I like how you say exterior. It's not it's it's not inward. It's just the exterior part of them. You know. Yeah. Buddy, what what? Did, so uh, I, I I would say um, I feel like you, you find more people that are lost. Um, you talk to a lot of people and they're always searching for something and they're always searching for a lot of them. And that's, I feel like that's what a lot of people get tied up in different things. Uh, they're like, I'm searching for spiritual. I'm searching for the rocks, the water, you know, all this stuff to talk to people. And it's it, it, because they, they, they weren't raised in the environment to have somebody to go to, to get understanding from, you know, past the, even past the support system and, your parents and different things like that have a relationship with God, you know, that is above all things because, you know, he could, he has answers for you during times when nobody has answers for you. <clears throat> so I feel like the generation we're in now, they're always looking for answers and their answers are either, you know, drugs, smoking weed or popping pills or, you know, women are, you know, chasing after the jewelry, chasing after the cars. But the thing about it is when you get all those, when you get, when you get all those things, you find yourself still unhappy. You know, that's why you see a lot of these guys committing suicide or different things like that because they're unhappy. You know, um, people, people, I know they call it those things are like, you know, diseases and issues, but it's one of those things to where it's, it's bigger than that. It's spiritual because for a person to sit there and want to take their own life, you know, to me, that's bigger than a disease. You know, that, that's a spiritual fight. You're fighting against, you know, 
not just to get flesh and blood, but you know, principalities and spirits of the world. So, right. you know, I, I feel like people people have no foundation to go back on and try to get understanding about anything. You know, a lot of that start started in the homes um, with the world we live in. You know, parenting is just you know, you know, let your kid go out and do what they want to do. Come out, come home, be home by ten o'clock, nine o'clock. You don't even know where the kid was at. You know, a lot of those things are, you know, are are the if the kids are in the home, they're just on games all day long. You know, different things like that. So, yeah, uh, 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 having the uh, uh, the presence of God, teaching your kids to understand biblical principles and the presence of God is very important. And so we have this generation does not, um, they don't, they don't tend to teach they don't teach their children that and and i i can go down the line back to how it changed you know even during my generation how uh some of the parents that were rearing kids and when i was rearing you guys and probably tina Tina and i were rearing you guys we that thought differently at that particular time i'm not gonna force my child to do what my parent did this i'm gonna let them have a leeway here whereas it's like no you can't do that you know some things are relevant they need to be passed down from generation to generation. And if you take that spirituality out of a child, I mean, there's nothing to me. Mm -hmm. That's my belief. There is actually nothing. You cannot, you know, you can't do that. Right, right. I agree. Uh, Go ahead, Tina, if you have anything to say. No, I agree. I agree with everything everything you guys just said. You Mm -hmm. have to, you know, they have that foundation and you have to, you know, you have to, um, we're the parents. You have to be parents. Right. Yeah. These these younger this younger generation is, is I call it the lost generation because you just see so much in these youngsters nowadays that we didn't dare think about. You yeah. know, just the thought of it scared would have scared me half to death because my parents was was from the country and they were yeah. no joke. Yes. My mother was no joke. What she she meant what she said she said what she meant and yeah. all she had to do was give us that look. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah, and, and I think I think a lot of people took that as you know, like like my, like a mama like Mama Tina just said, your parents will give you that look, and they and they know. A lot of people will start taking that as the parents controlling the kid. Mm-hmm. That's not controlling the kid. That's just being a parent and directing your kid in the direction that they need to go. There's difference between there's difference between control and actually being a parent. You know, because you'll see a lot of kids, like even friends I grew up with, their parents that just let them go do anything. But my mom was a mom. She gave me the look. I knew it was up. Those kids, those kids to this day, it's like, you know, I find out about them. A lot of them are locked up in jail or not really doing nothing with their life. You know what I'm saying? Some, some of them made it out and changed their life around. But a good percentage of them, you know, it was really nothing instilled in, the, in them by their parents by, by having, you know, that, that some type of foundation for their parents, you know, inside of them. So. Right, and my parents were really strict. My parents were strict, but I, you know, I allowed my kids to to, to be kids and be teenagers. But there was consequences. If I came <clears> to <throat> home at twelve o'clock, I didn't say twelve o one. I mean twelve o'clock. So That's you know, you have to. There's consequences. So I never wanted because my parents were really strict, and we didn't hardly get to do much until I was like sixteen, and I just you know sort of rebelled. But I wanted yeah. to give my kids the opportunity to be kids to go to baseball games and. To the, mm-hmm. to the basketball games and to the school dances that I never got to attend. So, but there was consequences. So as long as they did what I told them to do, they were responsible. Then fine, you can go. But the first time, you know, I get a call that you've been involved in something that you know you shouldn't have, or 
you know, you're not home when I tell you to be home, then there's, there's an issue. But I was a parent, so I took my kids and picked them up to make sure. I didn't, yes. I didn't allow them to, you know, ride with too many of their friends. It was not a, yes. I'll take you and I'll be, I'll be out there at 12 o'clock. You need to be out there at 1159 because I'm mm -hmm. not going to wait. So, yes. So that's how and that's how that went. And so I have to agree with you yeah. too because I I was raised up in a very very strict home too. We couldn't yeah. go to movies, couldn't do a lot of things. But I did allow yeah. Buddy and my children to do a lot of things that I weren't allowed to do. But it was a matter of me establishing a certain a level of communication with them and getting an understanding. Right. Uh, and and I one of the things I did is as you mature, I give you a little bit more responsibility. You, you get a little bit older, we get a little bit more, but I want you to learn to be responsible. Exactly. exactly. In regards to what I let you go. Right, you know, right. Yeah, that, that is, I think that's, and, and, and that's where uh, a lot of parents are lacking, is understanding how to grow. Yeah. Other kids are maturing. You, right. you only can give them so much at their maturity level. Right. You know? But, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, my, my next question is, um, have you guys connected to hurt and broken people while doing music sessions? And uh, what are your conversations like? Um, <clears throat> um, I, I think we have. Um, um, broken in different different areas. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times working with clients, um, particularly, I think, singers, more so than, than rappers, um, in, in our process of, like, writing, if they're not songwriters or not great or whatever, um, in that area, you know, I think one of our first questions is always to find out where they are in their life, so we kind of can figure out how to craft the music for them, uh, and see what they're dealing with, whether it's great stuff or, you know, hurt stuff. Um, it's, it's funny because, you know, the world thrives on, on, on pain and, right. and most, most popular records have to deal with some sort of hurt or, or brokenness. I mean, you know, we have a whole genre called blues and it's all about heartache, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's a heavily supported genre, you know, mm -hmm. um, but, um, in conversation with those people, you know, we just try to get to to the core issue, uh, get to the core, you know, root of the problem so we have something to draw from and pull from. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and try to figure out whether there's, whether it's a past and healed thing that we're going to be dealing with or if it's a current situation, um, you know, because some, some subjects are deeper than others. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, especially, you know, if, if it's, I, I think surface stuff and, and relationship stuff is, is easier topics. Um, one particular situation, and Buddy's going to laugh at this when I, when I bring it up, but, um, you know, having conversations with people and then re stepping back and reflecting and not realizing that people are actually hurt. Sometimes we have conversations with people and we don't really realize that that debate that you may be having with them, their angle was coming from a hurt place, particularly church hurt. And uh, there was a time we were at the house, we were working with a guy named JK. And I, it just made me think about it because we were having a whole conversation. I can't remember how it started, but 
it got into a hev- heavily spiritual debate. You remember how it started, bud? No, I don't. <laughs> but what was right there, and and we were um we were talking, and somehow I got on the subject of God, and 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 it just got really heated. It was a real heated debate where I was sitting on the couch. I got my Bible, and oh no, he felt like we were forcing him. Right? Did he feel forced? But we was talking about God or something. And, he said he felt like we was forcing him to like Jesus. I can't remember, but this question just made me realize, you know, because he grew up in church, but having that conversation at that time, it made me just think about how sometimes people may deal with church hurt, and I don't know his his details, but, you know, sometimes people do have those conversations, um, you know, from hurt hurt places. Um, it just made me think about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, buddy. Yeah, I think a lot of the conversations that we, you know, we end up having with people, um, like Mike was saying, mainly for the writing process of things. Um, so trying to get down to understand who they are as a person so we can bring the best out of their music they're looking for. Um, and a lot of times those conversations turn into conversations of us just, you know, sitting there, especially when it comes to like women, us sitting there, and we're talking to talking to them the next you know we're, we're like giving them advice about the relationship <laughs> and the next thing they're asking for advice about different things so um it definitely it definitely is something that we you know we do come across um just because you know i feel like everybody's dealing with something and, and when you're doing music um that is gonna that is like a vulnerable place for a lot of people um like you said kind of like you know when the rapper we were dealing with you know us in the moment you know, going back and forth, we're not realizing that, hey, you know, this is a, a trigger for him, but we were just trying to have a conversation, right. you know, and that trigger triggered him to maybe possibly get upset or whatever. We're not realizing that, you know, because we don't know the full background of that situation. Um, so also, too, it just t- teaches you how, how to actually, um, you know, deal with people as well in these environments. You know, if you're dealing with somebody, try to get to know who they are, speak to them because you definitely want to uplift people but also, you know, be careful because you might hit a trigger because you just you just don't know, you know, what the, what they came from or what you know their past. Especially, like I said, with music being a vulnerable place, they're coming in trying to be as vulnerable as possible of all the things they've been through and trying to put it down on when it comes to music. So you definitely want to be careful not to mess with that process. But at the same time, you definitely want to be able to stand on who you, who you are and what you believe in, and also to do your best to try to help them overcome those different things because. A lot of times, you know, even as producers, we become like a therapist because, you know, we're bringing things out of a, we're bringing things out of an artist that we see can come out of them, but they can't see it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, my last question is this. What would you tell single mothers today um, with sons? What would you guys tell them? It's, it's today, because today is so challenging now. You know, they have, it's just so much going on, especially in the music industry and you know, they, they're connecting to these artists that are into demonic worshiping and these kids, and they're just like all over the place. And so the parents are not watching their kids, what they play, what video games they play, the cartoons they watch. I mean, some things are being snuck, hit, hidden in these agendas as agendas to get in there to get into their kids' lives. So what would you tell single mothers today with sons? Uh, I would say really pay attention. Um, some parents 
you know, possibly because life happens, you're going through life, a lot of things going on. Um, you're, you're busy yourself as a parent and you find yourself not paying attention to what your kid's doing, who your kid's hanging out with. Um, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, you know, how somebody showed up to my house and it was just, you know, a gang of Philly. And it's like, don't come over here with that. You got to leave. Don't be afraid to, if, you're, if you feel like your kid's hanging out with somebody that you saw your kid's um, attitude switch around when they start hanging out with that person, don't be afraid for the, to remove them from that person. Um, so definitely be on watch. And also, too, as a parent, um, you know, definitely don't be afraid to have, uh, as a single, especially if you're a single mother, um, really focus on um, the balance of, because sometimes as single mo- mothers, we have to, a lot of times we focus on um, the hard side of, of being a mother just because there's no male figure there. Mm-hmm. So focus on really trying to trying to do your best, you know, because there's no book as being, as being a parent, but doing your best to have a balance of showing love and, you know, the hard side as a, as a single parent as well. Okay. Mike? Um, <clears throat> they need to meet Mama Tina and Mama Stephanie to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take everything. <laughs> take a little bit. Nah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, but that's key too. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's key. Mm-hmm. Not be, not being a, being around what they call OGs and getting advice from them because a lot of OGs have, you know, their kids are older and some of them realize the things they would have did different with their kids. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. I would. I would have did this different with my son. So I see you're going through this with him now. This is what you, here's advice of what you should do because, you know, as my son is older now, I'm like, you know, we had conversations of things I should have did differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I think, uh, I think creating a balance of, um, of being a parent, not so much, you know, being so friendly, you know, I, from what I see on, on social media, uh, I think too that it it goes hand in hand with the age gap too, because right. the grandma and the mama and the daughter they uh, they be ten to fifteen years apart. It would it seem like so? I mean, <laughs> you know, there's so much in the same era. Uh, right. You know, I think it's hard to separate sometimes, but I think having a clear cut line of of I'm the parent. You know, right. not being buddy buddy with your mm-hmm. kids. You know, mm-hmm. I, be a parent and not a friend. <clears throat> it's okay to be friends when they when you're. You know, you can be a friend, but mm-hmm. you need to be a parent first. You need to be right. a parent. I was never my kids' friends, and I always told them, "I'm sorry, Mike." I'm gonna be the child. I'm gonna let it talk. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, sorry. no, I'm you, sorry. you got no. I was just saying my two bits is be a be a parent, not a friend. I mean, because you have to be a parent first because you're responsible for your children when they're children, and as they get older, you know what you instill in them as a child. Hopefully, you will see as when they become an adult. So don't be afraid to be a parent because, like I said, with parenting comes responsibility. And you, you can't be their friend and hang out with them and party with them and smoke with them and do all the stuff right. that, that these parents are doing today. And because and mm-hmm. you lose respect, then I respect you as a parent because you out there doing the same thing they're doing. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I yeah. think too. I think um, you know, in 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 the balance side of it is at the same time as being a parent. I think uh, for single moms, it, just parents in general, um, as as a collective or single, um, I think it's important to also study your child so you can learn them, so you already know. Right. I think a lot of times, you know, we're focused on being a parent and being the disciplinarian side of it because we want it to be so right. Because we're so focused on trying to make sure things are right, a lot of things slip through the cracks because we don't take the time to step back and analyze and almost let your child kind of do some things so you can learn them, you know what I'm saying, and and and, and pick up on them um, so you can also be ahead, you know, for the next, you know, situation, you know, that may come up. But, um, but yeah, I think it's just balance, but definitely, you know, be, be more on the parent side than the friend side, you know. And I'm like, I'm gonna kind of end on this note here, and and I, I I read it out the amplified version. I'm kind of paraphrasing right now when it talks about training a child yeah. in that particular scripture in the amplified version. It does talks about being able to observe their gifts and talent. Yeah. And and I I can speak for myself. Tina probably can speak for herself too. Is those are the things that we've observed is your gifts and your talents right. and you take their gifts and their talents. You begin to push Like Tina said that, and I was the same way with buddy, you know, I, you know, just finish high school, you know, uh, <laughs> follow your passion, go after it, yeah. you know, follow your dream, you know, don't, don't sit back there. And so when you see their dream, you begin to connect them. Like you say, you begin to connect with different, our Joel and different him and my buddy took, I put him in drum lessons, drum, a marching band at school. And uh, he had private drum lessons just to you begin to connect them to those avenues. And what that does is it, it takes away from all this. It takes a little bit away from, it takes away the, the other, some of the other parts of their uh, wanting to get out and do this or wanting to get out and experience that because they're, they're actually uh, uh, doing their passion what they're passion for. With what you know, they're they're following their dream and stuff, and so that particular scripture really stands out with me very strongly every time I read that. You know that understanding your gifts and talents because um, um because it works, it works. So I want to thank you, uh, buddy Mike and Tina. You're welcome. My podcast welcome. on today, and uh, hopefully this will get touch someone or read someone or, or, or something that do something in someone's life or, or lead people to reach out and ask questions or lead people to try to find a support system. And the problem today is that this big thing of molestation and rape, and that's, that's so sad in trying to get uh, uh, support systems, but they are out there. Yeah. They are out there. And if we, we have to research hard to find it, but they, and then pray, pray that God will lead you to the right people. Right. For your, for your son's life. But again, thank you guys for joining me on today. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.